sneeze every. This is uh, Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth, our Bible study continuing in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. All right, so uh, let's take a deep breath because the very first thing it says uh, is, Wives, in the same way, accept the authority of your husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won over without, the, without a word by their wives' conduct when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So we're going to just pause there for a second. All right. In the Hebrew world, in the, in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there is a specific conversation about Sarah being obedient to Abram or Abraham. That so much so that she does exactly what he says, even though it doesn't make any sense. So uh, Abraham says to Sarah, go to the Pharaoh, uh, you know, you while we're there, you know, don't tell anybody that we're related uh, or that we're married. Um, and and you're my sister and, and that you're my sister. Um, and then uh, and she does it like so there's this. And it's dumb, like it's it's even dumb to them, like even sociologically, anthropologically, the it it's 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 kind of a farce. Like the objective here is to say, when we're obedient to our spouse, there is a, a sense of doing what well, women are are treated as property at this point. So in this conversations, it's it's reiterating this idea that. Women should do exactly and only what their husbands say. And on the flip side, there's a new conversation that's taking place in the first century. The church is becoming the bride of Christ. The church is becoming this new language, this, this submitting to your husband theology. This is, this is new, but it's not new. So they're using the Hebrew understanding of the Sarah's obedience to Abraham. And uh, this person that's writing on behalf of Peter is saying, you still should do that. But notice that what it's supposed to do, it's supposed to allow you to win over yourself in the eyes of God because of your conduct, not in the way that we would look at it in the 20th century. This this idea it's it's a call to doing these things because Torah says so, not because we want to. It's it's not a great thing in the 20th century. We we spent a lot of time breaking that idea down, right? This this idea that being submissive to others. But this is that part I always I always joke about, but I'm not joking about Paul and the rest of the first century church really wants you to understand that marriage is changing. Um, this idea of relationship matters. You shouldn't get married, according to Paul, specifically, because it's physically impossible for you to be a slave to someone else and serve God at the same time. Uh, I mean, this, this is Paul's idea. You can't. It's almost physically impossible. But if you do get married, the 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 words that he uses is uh, we have to be slaves. The doulos, uh, 
to one another. We have to be slaves to one another. And and again, this slave word is is different in than uh, even what we understand in the American concept. It's I have to literally give of my entire being and submit my entire self to God. If I do that, how do I do that with another human? That's a covenantal relationship. This is what Paul is talking about. And he says, if you do that, well, then maybe you could get married, but he, he doesn't encourage it. So here, this author of First Peter is saying, Wives, you should submit to your husbands. Same ideology, right? Not 20th century theology. It's the same ideal. Uh, submit to yourselves so that you could be adorned by God. Not uh, and, <laughs> so it's both and here. You should do what the, he says. And also, because this is what Torah says. It's not comforting. It's not a happy passage. Um, but what we have what we have come to understand today is, is that this is this is a, a theology that they were struggling with. How do I submit myself completely to God? It's, I mean, that's that's almost impossible. It's it's really hard. And then he and and, and if you start there, this passage isn't as bad. But then he goes into sociological things in verse three. But- it seems like Jesus treated women more than just property mm-hmm. when he was on earth. Yes. Why do you think so? We've used this language a lot in Bible studies and sermons. You know, Jesus creates a, do, a new life, right? If, if, if he is the Mashiach of the Hebrew Bible or the Mashiach, right? He is coming to save all of God's creation. So women could not be viewed as less. Can't. That's a struggle for us. Tax collectors can't be viewed as less. Uh, He uses the word prostitutes. You know, he doesn't, but disciples do. Rome. 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 The worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world. He comes for Rome just as much as he does for his own people. So Jesus' whole being is about um, fulfilling that moment of Isaiah where God opens God's arms and envelops all of us into this overwhelming and everlasting love. So women could not be treated as less than in Jesus' eyes. So it's a little weird, right? So here's First Peter going, oh, well, you've got to be. <laughs> this is what yeah. Torah says. Yeah. yeah. Because too many, sorry, too many places, he proved how much he respected women. Yes. You know, with Mariam and Masriya, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, when they threw the rocks at her and he said, mm-hmm. whoever, uh, without the saying, cast the first yeah, stone. So he, in too many places, he proved that. Absolutely. So even when marriage, when he talked about marriage, when mm-hmm. he told, uh, you know, the man, Adam, or the woman, she's one of your uh, um, ribs, mm-hmm. you know, you have to treat her well. And sorry, I haven't spoken English for a long time. So it's hard you're to doing very, very well. <laughs> <got to be. laughs> you're doing very well. You're doing very well. 
and and I think it's 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 also really important that as as we do this, we're also talking about cultural understandings of how do we dis discuss Jesus uh, in the first century as well as today, and it's just as complicated. Yeah. Right. So. Um, I think it's important to continue this this idea. So, can I ask one really weird question? Yep. I, I always do anyway. So I was going to say, do you, do you ever have to ask? Speak up. Um, make sure you say it real loud into the mic. Okay. Are they past having multiple wives at this time? So no, they okay. are definitely not past having multiple wives. Um, I was just after the cultural shift. Yeah. So, it. but they're moving towards monogamous relationships um but there's definitely definitely a significant amount that have multiple wives so they're not that far yet no okay no diana you said you had a question no i just when robert said he wanted to ask a question i said he's the only man in here he better be careful <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm more worried about what follows yeah the next part's not going to be good it's worse <laughs> All right, so this, so I want to, I want to preface this next part by saying, if you hear a preacher say these things about the way that women should dress and take care of themselves and the manner of how they're supposed to be, you need to turn around and walk out the door uh, because this is not for the twentieth or twenty-first century. So, uh, and 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 I would argue that it's not really what you think for the first century. So here we go. Do not adorn yourselves uh, outwardly by braiding your hair and by wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing. Rather, let your adornment be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet, it says quiet spirit, uh, which is very precious in God's sight. It was in this way long ago. Uh, that the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by accepting the authority of their husbands. And then he uses Sarah. Thus, Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. It's Lord here, right? In Greek? Kyrion. Yeah, Kyrion. Um, you have become her daughters as long as you do what is good and never let fear fears alarm you. And then in just uh, one verse, husbands... In the same way, show consideration for your wives in your life together, paying honor to the woman as the, in this translation, it says, as the weaker sex, uh, since they are two, they too are also heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing may hinder your prayers. Okay. Um, you say the grace of life. Right above, hinder your prayers. Yeah, gracious, gracious gift of life. It's the grace of life. And yeah. It is weaker vessel. It is weaker vessel. The tarot, which Mine is just as weak as the. Well, skew eyes is vessel. It's okay. And, and uh, the, the vessel here in the, in the, in the Hebrew and Greek ideas, best a woman is a vessel. Oh, okay. Um, so the, because of the be able to procreate thing this is uh the same conversation that in the hebrew bible as well as in the in the new testament we have every time that a woman is at a well something is going to happen 
It's uh, women are vessels in the Hebrew Bible. They're of earth. They uh, they're fertile. They're barren. You know, so it's this language that they use. So uh, it's a good translation, but I, I still I, I would rather they just put vessel. But anyway, uh, um, okay. So let's talk culture. Um, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I understand the the whole bride of Christ, but if I was hearing this in their world, <laughs> I'd be very, I would have a hard time connecting those two. Yeah, you you should. I mean, <clears throat> in the first century. Yeah, I mean, we get to see it from today's world, in my understanding, and I'm in a complete agreement. I'm just saying I'd have a hard time pulling it out of this, what where we're at today. It definitely gonna, he's gonna okay. eventually get there, but he hasn't got there yet. Okay, sorry. Nope, it's a good, it's a good uh, comment. Um, so let's let's make it simple. Where, where are they? Uh, oh, let's let me rephrase it. Who's in charge of them? Everybody that's hearing this. Rome. Oh, Rome. Okay. In their household, who's the head of the household? The man. The man. <clears throat> the term that they would use is the Potter familius. Uh, the, this the man is the head of the family, right? So there's this idea here that whoever is writing this obviously has a connection to Rome and obviously has an understanding of the household. So if you live a good Roman life, which is why it's not happy, uh, you, you should not look like Rome. What do women do in Rome? They wear rings. They braid their hair. Have you ever seen statues of women of, from Rome? They always braid their hair. They always make themselves look beautiful. We have found it at the, uh, I just did it again, big volcano, Pompeii. At, at Pompeii, we, we have found where there are actual makeup kits uh, where people, women would put on eyeliner and uh, blush and all of this stuff, uh, perfume. So the writer is saying, uh, you should not look like our Roman counterparts, but the head of the household is still a man. All in one very fail swoop. But, but the problem with this is, is what happened in the 20th century. What did, what did we preach? You got it do this that's yeah. right we told women you shouldn't put on makeup when you come to church you shouldn't wear nice things when you come to church don't don't dress up you know i i've, I've even seen this passage this specific passage of scripture uh used a lot with the pentecostal holiness church um whereas in it, they they the women are dressed a certain way the men are dressed a certain way they don't have rings when they get married you know like it's a whole thing uh, it's based off of this passage of scripture. Remember how I told you that First Peter has influenced uh, almost every different flavor of Christianity. This is this is one of them. Uh, this is what you and I were talking about yesterday. The, the multiple chapters of Christianity that take place, especially in the U.S., um, and one of them comes from this Pentecostal holiness. Comes from that passage there. And it comes from reading that and then immediately applying it to, to your own culture today. That's right. Without understanding the culture <laughs> of the time mm -hmm. of what it was written for. That's right. Mm -hmm. 
And then here it's definitely talking about Rome. I mean, you could just just think any of the statues, yeah. any of the statues of women specifically. Their hair is braided. They're wearing rings. They're they're dressed to the nines. We would say, right? Um, it's in that process, that idea that's going on here. Um, don't do like them. But he says, husbands, you should you should probably take good care of the women because you know they're weaker than you are. It's your job to to do that because you know they're 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 just as vulnerable as you are, which is not what we hear. Uh, most of the time, this is uh, paying honor to the woman as a weaker sex. It's not necessarily a negative thing, but it also is a negative thing in our culture. We look at it as women are not weaker than men. That's you're right. I mean, you know, in our world, we have come to realize that in the first century, this is a proud statement. You should take care of your wives. Don't let those things happen to them. Imagine this is a revolutionary idea. You see? I mean, think about it. In, in our own culture, one of the things that we struggled with, uh, with materialism and capitalism, right? Capitalism, I don't have a problem with. It's, it's what makes us thrive as a country, sure. But materialism is the thing that we struggle with. Uh, we want uh, there's a there's a time at some place in our life we want to be just like the person next to us. Ooh, I like what they have. Mm -hmm. I would like to have something like that, and we covet it. We we can't ignore it. This is a a, a pull back to as Robert would always comment on uh, back to the Ten Commandments. We don't need to be coveting this, and in the midst of us not coveting and not trying to be like Rome. We should take care of one another. This is huge. But again, how it was preached in the 20th, and, and I'm and I'm minimizing this passage because let's be honest, it's been preached that way since 300 CE all the way up until the 20th century. Yeah. Uh, uh, verse three, my my version. I, I came in after you guys yeah. reading this, but it does say your beauty should not come. I mean, it doesn't necessarily. I'm an NIV. Don't wear right. Makes it should not. Don't, but yeah, like that's not where your beauty is. It should be inside. Right, right. Yeah, which is another beautiful statement. Like if you look at it differently, in the sense of we don't have to be like Rome to find beauty. You yourself are already beautiful. See, that's a much better sermon. Yeah, and that's what's been written. So, um, all right. You ready for the next part? So we've already dissed Rome. We've already said when you come to God, this is how you should do it. Submit yourselves. Yeah, let's talk about how much fun it's going to be. I'm lying, by the way. <laughs> Finally, all of you have unity of spirit. Sympathy, love. Is that agape? Philadelphia. Ah, friend, friendly, brotherly love. love. Yeah. yeah. For one another, a tender heart, uh, a humble, and what's that one, mind? Humble-minded. Humble-minded. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. It is for this that you were called, that you may inherit a blessing. So there's, there's a, a theological change taking place. When you bless others, you receive a blessing. Um, th this is a new thing. This is different than Torah, right? 
Torah says you do this because you get to. Uh, Christianity in the first century says you do this because God is going to bless you, but on top of that, you continue to heap blessings upon others. Um, the word blessing is eulogion, which is obviously where we get eulogy. Right. So the, right. the words, the, word the languages, mm -hmm. the not languages, words, the, the right. things that we continue to do. Uh, those who desire life and desire to see good days. Now, now we're speaking from Hebrew. Uh, what is this? This um, is Psalm, Psalm 34, 12 to 16. Yeah, those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. So he uses Psalms here to 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 make uh, to to make that work. And um, but then he says, "Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good?" Everyone, <laughs> right? In in the Roman world, everyone is going to harm you for doing something good for someone else. Then he, he says, but even if you do suffer, you see how he follows up with that? For doing what is right, you are blessed. So even in your suffering, you are blessed. Uh, not to put you on a, in an uncomfortable place. This is a very orthodox teaching, right? We suffer because we're blessed. We yeah, bless others. That's, we, that's right. This is how they think. Uh, so uh, do not fear for what they fear and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are, uh, I don't like this translation, maligned? What is it for you? You're caught. Spoken against. Spoken against. Yeah, that's, that's better. Talk to Lolly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's spoken against. It's changed when someone talks about you. Those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ, and now here's, this is, gang, this is where it's going to change, right? So this, now we've, we've established Here's what suffering is, and now let's talk about how Christ connects to it. Remember, First Peter is very Christological. Uh, there's no real conversation about uh, how God the Father is involved in this or Holy Spirit. First Peter is trying to say, because we live in the name of Jesus, what does that mean? And here, here it goes. Um, where am I? 18. 18. 18. For Christ also suffered for sins. What's that word? Amartion. Amartion. And the, and the root word of that is, uh, I think that's almost. Missing the mark. Miss, that's, yeah, I think, yeah that's, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's the Hata Hebrew version of that word. So this mark, Martion is, so this is Hebrew and Greek 
combining. So Amartian, this is that is absolutely a Jewish comprehension of sin. When I miss the mark, this is Cain and Abel stuff. Um, when I have suffered, <laughs> suffered for kata or martyon once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring you to God. He, Jesus, was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. It's very important that we understand here. They're still trying to understand what Holy Spirit means. Um, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water and baptism, which this prefigured now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Now listen to this with angels, authorities, and is it, uh, is that the <laughs> Evangelion angels? Um, Angelo. Angelo. Yeah. All right on. It's the angels. angels, angels, authorities and powers made subject to him. <clears throat> so from verse 18 on, we're connecting Hebrew Bible sin to what Jesus dies for. And we're establishing that this is why um, he had to die. Just like in the times of Noah, he says, you remember that one time Noah did this, built this ark. Jesus becomes our ark. You see how that works? It's brilliant writing. They got baptized. They got baptized. There's a whole, no, that was, that was, I mean, I don't know if you're trying to be funny, but it was kind of funny. Well, 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah, the people got saved, waited patiently during the building of the ark, in which that is eight persons were saved through water. Oh, yeah, there you are. Yeah, 100%. And baptism, which this prefigured now saves you, not as a removal. This is very important that you all catch. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God, a good conscience. Wouldn't that be their ritual deaths also? Yes. I mean, something that they can reference. That's right. There's a total connection to the Hebrew world and uh, the the ritual cleansing that took place in the temple, you know, um, that, you know, have you been to Jerusalem? So, uh, you know, where the Golden Dome on the Rock is, yeah. right? And then there's the Temple Mount right there. There's the part that they're still trying to find is uh, they, they know where the baths are, like where the right. where the cleansing things were. But when you walk in through the West Wall, uh, which that we Jews call the Wailing Wall, um, that would have been where these baths would have been. So if, if I was just curious if you'd been there or not. But um, so that they are used to this idea, but not theologically. Baptism takes on a different thing. Um, it has to be water here. And notice what First Peter is saying. Why does it have to be water? He ties it to the Hebrew Bible. Okay. The flood. The flood. What did it, the it flood washed, do? It washed all sin of blood. Or it washed all evil. It washed evil off earth. It washed evil off the earth. So 
what baptism then does is it washes the evil off of us more than just dirt, yeah, which just is where the ritual cleansing would come from. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've never been to a mosque, but I know in Islam, when they go to the mosque, they do a lot of... Yeah, you have to wash your hands, your feet, your head, your face. Yeah. You can't walk in there with shoes on. There's a... Um, uh, my head had to be covered. Women, women had to have their heads covered when they walked in. But it's something they do again and again and again. Did I see like once for all in this about like what they Jesus do it did? Like two, four times a day, the most. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Yeah. It may have happened before, and I just forgot it. But get all get the Trinity here real quick. I mean, yeah, because. Pam and I, I don't forget what I said, but anyway, I was teasing her about being Lord because we take it and apply it today where, you know, at the time all this was being written, it's whoever's in charge. I mean, it's, it's, but all I'm saying is, okay, we get, they define Christ as Lord. They follow that up real quick with God. So they're distinguishing there, and then the spirit comes into play shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. And I, again, my ignorance, but I don't know where all three of them have showed up real quick, as quickly together and as defined. And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, which I would assume is very important to the yeah, because this Jewish. is the, this is the question, right? We we know this is a question. By the time we get to the Gospels, remember, this is written before the Gospels. So uh, the Gospels get written. They, they they answer that question by, well, who gets to sit at the right hand of God? Who asks that question? Well, James and John do. Well, actually, I think it's his mom. 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 Yeah, their mom. Well, their mom one, in one book, it's his mom. In yeah. one book, the other book, it's... They, they're frustrated. That's right. Yeah. And they ask. So uh, this answers that question prior to the gospels being uh, written, which again, I'm gonna sound super nerdy for you all for just a second. You know, we tend to look at the scripture as this holy divine work, like that just popped out of nowhere, right? But I'm, I'm not even very good at English, um, but you could see a style, a, a writing style being developed here. Uh, where people are following this process and this practice. By the time you get First Peter and you get to the Gospels, you can see that we haven't really changed our writing style that much. We've just broadened the the, the narration. The, the narration. So think think Genesis, right? We have a creation story. We have two creation stories, one right after the other. One says one thing in Hebrew, and one says another thing in Hebrew. So it's an interesting thing, but as the Tanakh continues to be written, uh, the questions are still the same. Where do we find God in this? How do I find God? Are we always going to be in the wilderness? <laughs> are we always going to be in captivity? These are these are important questions. And then so by the time we get to Paul writing. Some of these questions, they're they're trying to formulate the same question, but they're trying to give you answers 
in the only writing style that they know. It's brilliant. So like Robert's catching, here you've got a very uh, formalized understanding of Jesus the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Well, the Jews are going to struggle with this. So this person that's writing this is saying, well, I'm going to make sure that we do this so that we can still partake, partake in Midrash. Midrashim is very important in their world. This is how they teach. It's like what we're doing right now. Like we're discussing, we're talking. Um, and the questions of what if are always popping up. So the first question is going to happen is, is, well, what makes Jesus special? I ask you that question. What makes Jesus special com compared to every other human being on the planet? His sinless. sinlessness. Sinlessness. What else? Well, I mean, he died uh, to save us from. Died to save us. Hell. That's right. What else? Sacrificed himself. He's the Son of God. Son of God. There's only one of them. That's only one of them. His love for the world. Love for the world. These are good. It's a big one here. There's some good. He rose from the dead. There's a resurrection that takes place. Now, that's not something that we, any human being can do. He did miracles. He did miracles and he healed people that with his just, even just the cloak of his, uh, the hem of his robe, right? Like the hemorrhagic woman, one of my all time favorite stories. Her favorite, her faith saved her, right? Like he just, just the essence of Jesus saved her which by the way is a tie to the hebrew bible mm. right we that we see the hebrew bible prophets see the the hem of god's robe mm -hmm. and as he's walking away in isaiah in isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 there's this story of him having this image of god and he can see the hem of god's robe what does god's robe do well it changes the world what does jesus do the hem of his robe heals the yes. hemorrhagic woman. That is full on midrash if I've ever heard it. I mean, I I have bias, but at the same time, that's brilliant formulaic writing. So here, now we have a resurrection story. We have uh, where Jesus is sitting, and then you have the all time question about uh, what what does this mean? He goes back to heaven, right? He ascends back to heaven. Who is he with? God. And the angels. And the angels. And remember the original creation story? And the divine beings. Flew over the water. That's right. Yeah, at the beginning creation story, there's this beautiful conversation when uh, God and the divine beings were there. This I, I have to make sure I say this. Yes, I'm making a big deal. I could probably write a paper on this and just have fun. Oh, here it is. Uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 26. When he says the phrase, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and see, blah, 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 blah. Who is our? Let us. These are divine beings. That I never picked up on that ever before. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, 
brilliant writing. Yeah. So here we go. We've got this is the Hebrew world believed in angels. They believed in demons. They believed in, well, I wouldn't say demons, probably not demons, but probably evil. But but there's this this conversation about something up there with God. Somehow God has messengers that are not humans. I wish we would talk more about that. <laughs> oh, well, we definitely could. An angel. Yeah. yeah. I love too that I mean for uh, a Hebrew, that's you know, that's hard to swallow. Uh, understand even the very first chapter of the Bible with the let us and that kind of concept. Mm -hmm. But it was more important for them to preserve the wording as they were given it or as they received it and pass it on. They didn't want to say, Well, that can't be right. That should just be <laughs> he, right? Let's just let me. That should be that shouldn't be plural. Uh -huh. But God's word was so holy and so important to them, they recorded it and passed it on the way that they received it. I guess in my mind, I always thought that God's all knowing and he already knew that there was going to be a son and he, and that he was already encompassing all that in his mind. And that's why I was always thinking it was we, you know, that he was already seeing that. But of course, John says that Jesus was at the creation. He was the nothing the was he, yeah. everything was made through him and yeah. nothing was made, okay. through, right. made through him. Some words to that effect. Hmm. And again, John being the the later gospel written, the church has institutionalized an idea of theology. We're trying to explain this to all of us how we believe. Uh, and the Gospel of John then creates, in my opinion, creates the movement that we know as Christianity. Starts with uh, the Universal Apostolic Church that we now know is uh, Catholicism. Then shortly after that, we have Orthodox. And then shortly after that, well, not shortly, many uh, years later, you start to see different, as I refer to it as chapters, as we continue to go through this understanding. But John gives us the formula. Who, who And again, if you, if you think of it Midrash, what are the questions? The question is, well, who is God? What is God? Who is Jesus? What is Jesus? They're all one. They're all one. And, and we've got to figure out how to answer that. So the writers are trying to give us those answers. Well, as a whole, we've been talking about then and now kind of the changes mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you always hear growing up all your life, the Bible's for all time. Mm -hmm. So how do we know that what we're changing goes along with what God really wants. Does that make sense? You know what I'm asking? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I don't want to get too liberal and just we're changing it to fit our needs. Well, we're definitely not getting liberal. Happening. I think. Yeah. yeah. And that bugs me because I'm thinking, well, how far is too far? <laughs> well, in, in our conversations, our conversations have nothing liberal or conservative with it. Right. Like my, my goal with our studies is that we, we really look at the language. We really look at the anthropology and then we can relate it to our own life. That doesn't change what was actually written. But the, the struggle that we've had is, is that we have all of us in this room, including myself, have what we call embedded theology. We were brought up to believe it says this. And sometimes those things that we were taught were based off of the church that we attended, not what was actually written. 
because this is the hard part for us all to accept. In the first and second century, there was no church. It was a bunch of rabble-rousing, Jesus-loving people walking around trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing. It wasn't until much later that we have a church that said, this is how we're going to do it. And then over the chapters, we've changed it over and over again. So I try very, very hard so that in our discussions that uh, you don't come leave here and say, well, the church says, and this is how you should believe. I really want you to come out of here going, okay, that challenges how I look at it today and my embedded theology. Um, because it challenges me, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, my embedded theology is different than all of yours, but yours is completely different than mine. The hardest part when we look at this scripture, especially first Peter, because we use it so often and don't even realize it, um, is, is that it's used with denominational agendas. When I said the Pentecostal Holiness Church says, well, here's your proof. This is why you shouldn't do that. But if you look at it from the first century, you're like, eh, that's about Roman women. I mean, like, it's obvious when you, once you turn that off for just a second. But then you have to ask yourself, well, what does that mean to me? <laughs> that's where it gets hard. Yeah. And so I think sometimes it's going to feel like you're being liberal from what we grew up with, or it's going to feel like, oh, I'm probably turning more conservative on that. And that's okay. Because I'm definitely old school. Sure. <laughs> I was like, in addition to embedded theology, is part of it because we live in such a blessed country that it's hard for us to understand. Suffering, yeah, no, I, I, I guess. Have we ever really suffered? Yeah. No. We haven't. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you can do the worst thing you've ever done for you. It doesn't even touch the suffering of 95 yeah there's and and like i've said from the beginning that first century they weren't just poor right like they were poor they were starving to death i mean the average lifespan of a human being might be 55 years like if you're lucky and they worked till they died like they, there wasn't a question of how that worked the infant mortality rate was like 80%. I mean, this is this is the stuff that we have a hard time processing because in our mind, we're looking at it from the 21st century. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is so awful. But in them, that was just a day that ended in a Y, which probably didn't, but that's not the point. But that, that every single day for them was, thank God I have breath. I can do something to do today to, to be true? the image of Jesus. I've always... Another thing I've loved about scripture, I guess I'm talking the things I love about scripture. Nope, you're good. But um, that there are mysteries in this book. And we, as people, like to nail down every single thing about it. But, you know, there's some things we're going to read and we're never going to fully comprehend until we see him face to face. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm reminded of Jacob. After he wrestled with God, they changed his name to Israel, mm -hmm. which I believe means something to the effect of he who wrestles with God. And I've always liked that, that, you know, we're wrestling with God. We're, it doesn't say we're pinning God and we're, <laughs> we're winning. It's, it's, we're, we're wrestling and there's a, 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 a intellectual, spiritual struggle sometimes as we uh, are working through who God is and 
how he works in our lives and other people's lives. I think God's always going to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, Thank I've, goodness. I've hit face off in a brick wall several times. And I'm thinking, okay, I got it. I got it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think this is a good discussion because I think in the first century, when you're thinking Midrash, they're, they're sitting in their homes after working all day long. And they're, they're talking about, well, how does God work with us today? Um, and, and they're still in the same way that you're having this discussion. They're saying, well, how is this different than what we were brought up to understand in the Torah? Uh, you know, does Isaiah really mean it this way? Look, notice that the guy uses Psalms. Psalms, they, 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 it's fascinating to me, the Psalms that are quoted throughout the New Testament. You know, because these people are obviously scholars, right? These these people are obviously rabbis uh, that know that know of scripture. Um, you don't just pull a psalm out of thin air. These guys do, and they and it just so happens to work with what their thought process is. So just like us, they're discussing it back and forth. I was going to ask if you thought it was multiple people. I one, one writer, but I mean, yeah, I th I've always, I, I will always say, uh, to my dying breath, to think that one person wrote each single book is really hard academically to say. Faith, faith wise, I, I would say yes. I want to believe John wrote the entire book. I just know academically he did not. The handwriting changes three times. The, the the formula changes three times. I know that the Luke definitely writes the book of Acts. And that there's, why do we know that? Because his handwriting looks the same and the formulas of his style looks the same. I guess my question is, is it like all of us discussing this and I'm writing down what the group thinks? And the only reason I'm asking that yes. is because for... Y'all are a whole lot smarter than I am, but for you to go back and find, I mean, somebody say, oh, we need something, or you remember about Psalms, I don't think somebody's going to remember everything in the books. They're Where remembering the words. Collectively, you might get there, yes. but one person probably isn't getting there. Sorry, we have to leave. I have to tell you, you guys got an excellent doctor. Yes. <laughs> doctor. As not a teacher or preaching, he's an excellent. From where I come from, and I see lots of, uh, uh, you know. Thank you. You're excellent. That but means a lot. I will try to come a couple of times yeah, before I leave. Well, that'd be Good. great. Jerry. Yes. Love it. Okay. It's Thank been you a pleasure. Bye-bye. So, nice uh, so yeah, there's a there's a group of people, and the collective entity is going to say, "You remember when it said in Psalms." Um, and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, but they remember, they don't have it written down. They don't have numbers or chapters. And so someone's like, oh, yeah, it said this. And now did it say that. And so the guy's writing it. Yeah, yeah, totally. But they have some on scrolls. They can go look. Yeah. And and they have some on scrolls. Now, how much? I don't know. Right. And and where are the scrolls? They and have some Isaiah. They well, definitely have the, Isaiah. And the temple and the. Does he? Uh, uh, no, um Come wrong. So you just yeah. go down there, check them, check them out a little library. <laughs> right. right. There, you know. the, the part that's fascinating archaeologically is, is how much of it they memorized um, and how much of they did it um, verbatim. Like you, we have multiple 
have we have multiple scrolls of Isaiah, for example. Like there's there's three main scrolls that we know, and you all know it as one big book, right? But we have three main scrolls that come up with Isaiah, and it's fascinating because you can obviously tell the differences in handwriting, you know, here and there. But the part that's cool for me is is that like somebody has memorized everything that was ever said and has wrote it verbatim on another scroll. That's crazy uh, memory. Like they, they practiced that though. They I mean, did practice that. Mm -hmm. And so it was something, and remember I, like I said, uh, two weeks ago, this, this is, this is your anthropological proof that some people knew how to read and some people knew how to write. Very few knew how to do both. Um, so all I have to do is just to reiterate what's being written here and just copy it. How can you write and not read? Well, because at that time, the people that were able to read had all the power. So they didn't teach the people how to write. They just taught them how to mimic the shapes. Okay. So that's where we have struggle with that. Um, and it's it's a big deal. I mean, and, and, and without making a soapbox, because we have just a few minutes left, uh, that is the case of Christi not Christianity, but the world, those that are able to read have the power. Um, and that still is. Yes. Reading's everything. Yes. Your education. Mm -hmm. I mean. So yeah. did the Roman government tell, tell them what they were going to do, whether they were going to be fishermen or a teacher or a. No. It, or a. So, so you just do show up today and I'll tell you what to do type thing. You did what your father did. You did what your father did. And so what Rome did is to said, you guys can still do that, but you're going to have to rent the boat from us. <laughs> and or you're going to have to pay us taxes from whatever you sell. Some brilliant economic strategies. Um, That's capitalism. It, it, it really was. I mean, there's a very early, early version of it. The, but, you know, it, so like the, the, the story of Peter, James and John being fishermen and he tells them to drop their stuff and come the people in the that are hearing that in the gospels wouldn't have thought that was weird that's weird to us that wasn't their boat anyway. because it wasn't their boat in the first place so, so that's that's why it's a weird story for us today it's like well i wouldn't leave my boat are you crazy i mean like for them it's like no it's not ours it's rome's anyway so the people hearing that story in the gospel are like look at what they did they they went even against Rome and did not support the machine that fed Rome, the fishermen industry in, in Galilee. I heard a story once about memory. Uh, I think uh, Alex Haley, who wrote Roots, I know that was a TV series mm -hmm. in the yeah. 70s, but I think they read it. Book. But uh, in the forward of his book, he always knew that he had a an ancient relative or ancestor whose name was Kunta Kinte. And he actually went to Africa and found the tribe that he thought that his family had originally come from. And they had, a, you know, an elder person who basically they sat down in a circle and began to recite the generation after generation. This person was the son of this person. And it was long and it got to almost the part where he was, if I remember right, it got kind of dull, right? You're just hearing a bunch mm -hmm. of names, stuff like that. And then he heard <laughs> Kunta Kinte. And he kind of went, Kunta Kinte? <laughs> and at that moment like the everybody in the tribe like started to surround him mm -hmm. with love and acceptance like this is someone who was part of our our tribe that has now come back mm -hmm. to us but i was always impressed that uh, that someone could just sit down and just recite generation after generation after generation but if you're probably taught that from yep. the person ahead of you 
You're just adding one more thing to <laughs> it. You well, they it, had used so much more of their brains yeah. back then, I think, than we do now because all the technology, spell check. I mean, they had, that's all they had. Well, it's definitely, there was a, a, a thing about being able to memorize you, the stories that you knew in the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible. Um, there was something about being able to quote it that gave power and um in good ways right it's not it's calling upon the name of god that's not a bad thing um and god told them to remember these things re remember them teach your children and your grandchildren right that's that's my that's that's my dad's all-time past uh, favorite passage of scripture teach them in the ways that uh of the lord and they will never stray or something like that um so i, I think it's i, I think it's for us again anthropologically it's uh we think oh wow that's amazing but you know we used to do the same thing you know you, you think about churches and the the way that they kept attendance you know uh robert can show you the stuff in our heritage room like that's got uh perfect sunday school attendances and all of that stuff we we used to do the same thing but then all of a sudden we're like oh well if you transferred from that blew my blew my mind away you transferred from a church two hours or away from one mm -hmm. They have it documented where you came from yeah. or where you went mm -hmm. to. I mean, you know, yes. it's like I hate to say it today, but you know, it's like, well, who cares? I mean, if yeah, I mean, if, if we if start... they go, they just went. <laughs> you know, we're not going to follow them to see right. where they went to. Right, Remember Mrs. Burkhart. We had a card. How file many years she went? Office that just was never yeah, next door. Yeah, yeah, we put card it next door. File. Well, I, I point all this out because one of the things that I think that's dangerous and I'll end our recording on is just that uh, in the same way that scripture was for them, we have lost that art. I'm not suggesting that we have to memorize it and be able to pre, uh, pull it from memory, and but to talk about it, to talk about it in a way that uh, is open and a fair dialogue. You know, so that people can come in from any walk of life and say, okay, well, this passage of scripture speaks this way to me. I, I think that has, we have lost that part. Um, and I think that's, I think that's going to be, if if there was a demise to modern day Christianity is the fact that people's voices aren't able to be heard and acknowledged. We don't have to always agree. You see, that's the part that, I struggle with this is that somehow some way in the 20th century we all had to come up with this idea that it said well the scripture says this and if you don't like it get out you're wrong you're I'm wrong right. and I'm right and if you don't like it too bad well let's split and and you see it and and, and the churches did and, I mean it's it's terrifying you go back and you look at the 20th century how many churches split over just hairs of theology I, I mean, I, I know this is a recording and I don't really care, but like the Churches of Christ acapella and the split from the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, it was over one passage of scripture and the way that we did mission work. And and disciples historians would argue with me, it was a whole lot of other things. Yes, but somehow we have to figure out a way that we can sit at a table and talk about communion and that it's the same thing for both of us. Uh, we should be able to do the same thing with the Bible. Um, I think First Peter gives us a good glimpse 
of how the first century church is trying to do that. Uh, next week, when we start, we'll start with uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, this is uh, good uh, oikonomos, the stewards. This is uh, part of my master's thesis, but um, it, it's a project, master's project. The There's really cool things that take place here, um, but we'll we'll just pick up from right there uh, next week. Wait, sorry. Since we read this, we got to close, and I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus sits at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, and in submission to him. So where we balked it, submissive at the beginning, it tells us to be submissive, submissive. at the end. Yeah. And to I, read, I read something yesterday that I think kind of brings us all together. It says multiple siblings can grow up in the same house with the same parents and have completely different childhoods. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, we could, that's a sermon all by itself. <laughs>